0: All right, we are going to talk this morning about everyone's favorite subject, money. We've locked the doors, um, so sorry, you're stuck with us. It's the thing that everybody gets kind of nervous about. We never really want to talk about it, or maybe we want to talk about it all the time. But do you know that Jesus actually talks about money more than he talks about anything else in the Bible? Jesus actually deals with money pretty straight up. So that's what we're going to try to do today to talk about what it means to give, what it means to be generous with what God has given us. We're also finishing out our series on the life of David. And so we're going to finish this out really close to the end of David's life. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Chronicles 29. That's uh, the last chapter of 1 Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament probably about a quarter of the way through most of your Bibles. It's also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. I'm going to read verse 10 through 16. First Chronicles 29, verse 10 through 16. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. This is the word of the Lord. We pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your goodness, for your character. I pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would soften our hearts to hear it, that your spirit would be at work unstopping our ears and unblinding our eyes, that we might be those who see you more clearly, who see Jesus more clearly, see our need for him more fully, and come to love him more completely in doing so. Lord, will you speak to us this morning through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you give to the church, you'll get back a lot more money in return. You know I would come to church if they weren't always talking about money all the time. If you just have enough faith, as evidenced by your giving... Then God will prosper you, and your life really will look healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything will be fine. Why is the church always talking about my money? That's a private matter. It's mine. I earned it. I get to keep it. The church needs to keep its nose out of my private stuff. Maybe if I give to the church, God will think that I'm more important, or maybe at least the church will think that I'm more important. Maybe I'll get my name on a building someday, or maybe they'll elect me as an elder. You know, why are we always talking about carnal-based things like money? Why don't we talk about spiritual things? Why doesn't the church go out and help people and love people? Why are we talking about money all the time? You hear two polar extremes that you oftentimes see in the church, right? You can turn on the TV, and you can see churches talking about money all the time. And you can walk into churches anywhere and never hear a word about it because we don't want to make people uncomfortable talking about money. We can find those extremes everywhere. Either it's all about your money and what you give, and that's the basis for how God is going to view you, or money is all yours. Don't worry about it. Just keep it to yourself. The church shouldn't care about those things. How do we understand correctly not only what God thinks about our money, but even more particularly, how God thinks about the way that we use it, and even more specifically, how we give. Another way to ask that is, what's at the heart of giving? I'm going to give the answer away up front. The heart of our giving is God's character. We give based upon God's character. Because here's the thing, you can keep every cent that you own and hoard it for the rest of your life because you disbelieve God's character. But guess what? You can also give a lot of money away and still disbelieve the character of God. Let me give you a little bit of background on what I read. What we read was actually a prayer by David. If you're just joining us, we're actually finishing up a series on the life of David, the greatest king in Israel, the forerunner to Jesus, the one who would kind of lay the path for the Messiah to come. And at this point, David's actually late in his life, he's close to death. We've already been through seeing David as the shepherd boy and as the champion of his people over Goliath and over their enemies. We've seen David anointed and God actually make this deep covenant promise with David that he will have an heir on his throne forever. We've seen the kindness that David has shown to someone like Mephibosheth, Jonathan's lame son, and we've seen that that is reflective of Jesus' kindness to us. And then we've seen David at his worst too, with the litany of sins that he commits against Bathsheba and her husband and the people of Israel. And... I don't know if you remember, but at one point, we even talked about how David wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build the temple. And God had told David, you're not the one. It's Solomon, your son, who's going to build me a temple. Well, at this point in David's life, he's come to grips with that. He's okay with not being the guy. In fact, he's given Solomon, his son, a charge. It's really a beautiful, tender moment between father and son, where he takes his son and he says, listen, You've got a huge responsibility ahead of you. But then David actually kind of does one better, and he says, I'm going to help in this by raising money for the funding of the temple. And so David gives not only of his own, out of his own pocket, but actually all of the heads of the families in Israel do the same thing. And they all get together, and they give for the building of the temple. They rejoice. They have a big, fun worship service, and then David prays. And it's actually in the heart of this prayer that we get to see not only God's character and what's at the heart of God's character, but how we're to respond to it. And this is really what's at the heart of God, of of this prayer here with David, is that God owns it all, that God gives generously and abundantly out of what He owns, and that we then respond out of willing, generous thanksgiving and praise. Those are actually the three ways we're going to look at it this morning. God gives, or excuse me, God owns, then God gives, and then we respond. Those first two are about God's character. The second is about how we're to respond to it. All right, so let's look at the first part. God owns everything. Look at verse 11 one more time. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all this, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. He says it again in verse 16, O Lord, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What David proclaims here is that God is the owner of all things. The Bible resonates with this message. You even hear the images, the way that the Bible actually talks about who God is. He is called Father, The father, particularly in the ancient world here, would have owned all the land, the house, everything. You have God, of course, proclaimed as creator. And if he is the creator of it, then he is the owner of it. He gets to lay claim to it. And then you have, of course, God throughout the entire of scriptures being proclaimed as the king. And the king is the owner of all the land. He owns it all. Do you know that actually 6.6 billion with the "ba" acres of land in the world—that's one sixth of all of the land in the world—is owned by one person? One person owns 6.6 billion acres of land, one sixth of the world's land in all of the world. She is a 93-year-old woman named Elizabeth. She is the queen of not only the United Kingdom, but of 54 country commonwealth. And technically speaking, because she is the queen, she actually owns all of the land over over which she rules. If you actually look at the laws, everybody who owns land in the United Kingdom or in uh, Canada or in Australia actually is leasing it from the queen because she owns it all. So truly and honestly, when the queen looks out over Ireland, she says, that's all mine. And when she rolls into Canada, she says, this all belongs to me. And when she looks out over Australia and any, again, of the 54 countries in the Commonwealth of which she is head, she says, this all belongs to me. You know, that's what the theologian Abraham Kuyper has said about Jesus Christ, is that when he looks out over the world as the sovereign over all things, that there is not one square inch that he does not say, that's mine it all belongs to Him. He's the king over all. God is creator and king, and He owns it all. Now, I know that may come as a surprise to some of us, that the things that you think belong to you actually don't. I think oftentimes we think, um, okay, the Rockies, God can have that. You know, He deserves it, right? But this house, I worked hard for this, some hard-earned money, This car, this ranch, whatever it is, it's mine. Friends, I hate to break it to you, but it's not. (laughs) It belongs to the Lord. All that is in the earth belongs to Him. It is His to give and to take. But here's the second piece to that, is that God not only owns all things, it's that God actually gives out of what He owns, He is a gracious and abundant giver. Follow along with me again in verse 12 and in verse 16. Listen in verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you and and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength. See, in God's hand is the power, but He gives it. And then in 16, we hear this again, Lord, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house from your, for your holy name comes from your hand. God actually gives graciously out of what He owns. God's character is to be an abundant, gracious giver, and He gives freely and graciously and abundantly. Joy and I spent some time, one time, at a a private retreat in upstate New York. And by private, I mean that it's owned by one person. And by retreat, I mean that it's about 2,000 acres of nature preserve. And by retreat, I mean that it's these two 15,000 square foot lodges connected by an underground garage that parks 50 cars. And by garage, I mean there's taxidermy in the garage. And by taxidermy, I mean like a picture, a scene of a moose being attacked by a pack of wolves, okay? Like something you would see in a museum. And in this place, there was a roving staff of five during the time in which we were there. And we were the only guests there. And this staff was simply there to serve us. So by retreat, that's what I mean is that one of those staff members was a five-star chef who would say things like, what do you want for lunch today? Do you like sea bass? That kind of thing. There was a hot tub inside one of these lounges, these lodges, the size of this stage, built with rocks, stones, flown in from Colorado just because they had better stones in Colorado. There there was retinal scan devices on the doors because the week before we were there, Dick Cheney was there. That's the kind of place we were. But here was something really unique about it. There was no payment mechanism at all. It was owned by one person, a billionaire, who had it for his family and his friends, and he just gave it. We were there completely free. We didn't pay a cent. We got to live in luxury for three days, like billionaires, simply out of the generosity of this man. That's the way that David prays here. Lord, you're the owner of it all, but you give generously. You give abundantly. You give fully. You are a generous and gracious giver. So then what about us, if that's God's character What about us? How do we respond? Well, we respond, the Bible says, out of thanksgiving and praise. We respond willingly by giving willingly out of a thankful heart in praise to the Lord. If we know that God owns it all, and we know that God actually has given us all that we have because He's generous, then we can respond with open hands. Lord, it's Yours anyway. You've given it generously and freely and fully, and so we are then responding willingly to the Lord in thanksgiving and praise. So, once again, here's the formula. God owns, God gives, we respond willingly by giving as an act of thanksgiving and praise to Him. Now, I've said that a few times because it's really important. It's really important that we get that formula right, Because we can get it deeply wrong and err even on two opposite sides. See, again, you can turn on the TV really any Sunday morning if you want. You can hear people say things like, if you give money to God, to the church, then God will actually give you something back. In fact, he's kind of on the hook for giving you something in return. And if you just put down this kind of seed money, this investment, then it's going to grow and you're going to get back tenfold what you gave. I want you to hear what's underneath the surface there. You own it. You give it. God has to do something in return. You hear the subtle difference there? You own it. You give it. And now God is on the hook to make you happy. Friends, that is nothing but what the Bible calls legalism or moralism. It is viewing God's character not as a gracious and generous giver, but as a mediocre boss, as a pretty decent taskmaster, as an army drill sergeant. If you do your job and uphold your part of the bargain, then God is on the hook to do good things for you. That is at the heart of legalism. It's seeing the character of God as the one who owes me something for what I do. And that is not the good news of the gospel, friends. That is very bad news. Because if God owes me for what I do, and I'm honest about what I do, then what I get is not going to be what I want. But we can err just the opposite way too, can't we? To say, you know, this is my money. I worked for it. I earned it. And by the way, I need it to keep me safe and happy and joyful and everything in my life that I need to buy the stuff that's going to make me happy. I need that money. I can't give it away. I can't give it to the church. Listen to the same underlying uh, formula at work. It's mine. I don't give it because I need it to be happy. It actually denies God's character the same way, doesn't it? We're not seeing God anymore as a generous and gracious giver who gives abundantly abundantly and generously. We're actually seeing God as somebody who's just kind of a hoarder. And if God's a hoarder, then I need to be a hoarder too because I got to get mine. I got to take care of myself. I'm the captain of my own soul or at least my own checkbook for sure. Do you see how the two opposite, what seem like they're polar extremes, actually have the same thing at their heart? which is a denial of God's good and gracious character, denying that God is a gracious and abundant giver. But friends, the Bible proclaims that He is, that His character is to give, that His character is to give abundantly and graciously and generously, and that we give out of response, not to earn, not to protect, but to worship. So, how do we do that? Well, you've probably heard the word tithe before. It simply means a tenth. And in the Old Testament, God's people were required actually to give a tenth of what they brought in. It's oftentimes called in the Bible the first fruits. They would harvest their crops, and the first and the best of that, they would actually return to the Lord. Interestingly, actually, uh, if... If you start to read what scholars are researching about tithing in the Old Testament, when you start to add up kind of all of the tithes that were required, you get to a number that's probably closer to 20% than 10%. And there's a lot of debate then, actually, on in the New Testament, are Christians required to tithe? Is that same kind of 10% still there? Honestly, there's a lot of questions about that. Let me tell you what there's not a question about. God's character displayed in the Old Testament, is displayed actually in the New Testament even more clearly as a generous giver, as the one who gives generously and abundantly. And so really for the last 2,000 years, Christians have used as a general rule of thumb this idea that we give back 10% of what we have. And that actually seems to be a pretty good sweet spot for how to deal with our hearts. And hearts is the big key here. I heard a story one time of a a wise pastor of a very wealthy church, and he was sitting down, he was talking to a man who made about $3 million a year. And this guy was saying, you know, I just don't see how I can bring myself to write a $300,000 check to the church at the end of the year. And this wise pastor said, well, let's pray about that. He said, Lord, I pray that you would reduce this man's income to a place where he feels comfortable tithing on it. See, he knew the issue wasn't the money. I mean, this guy had plenty of money. He was well cared for. And honestly, even if he had just given 1% to the church, that would have been a pretty sizable check. But he knew that it was about this man's heart. And that 10% number seems to be the place where our hearts just seem to be gripped with understanding this actually hurts a little bit. This is actually me giving up something that I really would like to have. This is the activity, actually, of me putting God's kingdom first rather than my kingdom first. Now, let me say, you may be at a point in your life where you're struggling to get gas in the tank and food on the table. And for you, the question is, what does it mean then to respond to the Lord in generosity and graciousness, to see that God has given you everything and then to be able to respond out of that? That number, that number may be more like 5%. Let me just say, if that is where you are, great. Take a hold of that. Move toward that. Give. And then hopefully move toward giving more. Even kids, students, teens, I would encourage you, take a little bit of your allowance. Take a little bit of your summer job earnings. Take a little bit of the money that you get as gifts at Christmas and set it aside so that you can remind your own heart, this isn't mine. God owns it. And out of a response to his gracious character, I'm going to give back. But let me also say that there's probably some of us out here for whom 10% probably won't cut it. That when you start to ask the question, what does it mean for me to respond to God's generosity and his graciousness, his abundance? What does it mean for my heart to be moved by that? Is that you may come up with a number far greater than 10%. John Wesley, who started the the Methodist church, pretty famously kept his standard of living the same all of his life. And as his income grew, by most accounts, by the end of his life, he was actually giving more like 75 or 80 percent of his income away. Because he had simply said, for me to respond to God's graciousness, this is what it looks like. Now, I understand that won't be the response that most of us are called to. But it's a helpful question to ask. What has God given me? How is He calling me to respond in generosity? We're going to do something a little different this year. I say a little different. It's not like we have a long history to go on. But this year, as we enter into 2020, we're going to ask the members and regular attenders of this church to give us a projection on what you might give in 2020. That's for two main reasons. The first is that hopefully tomorrow when you get an email in your inbox from me, and it talks about this, and it gives you a link on how to go fill out this projection, the biggest thing that we want it to do is that we want you to enter into that prayerfully. We want you to enter into discussion with your spouse, if you have one, and with the Lord in prayer about God's abundant blessing and how you might respond We want to put that before you so that you can actually wrestle with it in your heart because we think that that's actually good for us. And then secondly, we actually think that it's good for the church too so that we actually can be better stewards of what God gives us. We can better know how to budget, how to plan, how to move forward and what 2020 is going to look like. Let me mention one last thing before we close. If you were in here at the very beginning In the call to worship, you heard me say this is that we oftentimes think that thanksgiving comes from joy. Is that when we're joyful, we're going to be more thankful, we're going to give more? That's true. It does work that way. It also works just the opposite way. Is that actually thanksgiving leads to joy? Is that if you want to be more joyful in your life, if you want to see God actually create joy in you, be more thankful. Begin to take inventory, not just of the things that you've been given, but of the character of the giver. I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and then we're going to spend just a few moments maybe starting this process of projections, but I I want you to not write any numbers down this morning. I simply want you to start thinking about God's generous character, how He owns it all, how He gives freely and abundantly, and how He calls us to respond. Let's pray. Lord, we, like David, pray to proclaim primarily your abundantly generous character, that we live and move and have our being because you're a generous God, that we have the things that we have in our life, the people around us, the homes that shelter us the transportation that gets us where we need to go, primarily because you are a generous God who loves to give abundantly. Lord, we have forgiveness of sins because Jesus, who was rich, became poor that we might, through his poverty, become rich. For that is grace upon grace. That is the grace that we pray with and through today. In Jesus' name, amen.